hello, and welcome to episode number 81 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore. Happy to be with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We are finally going to do it. We're finally going to talk Cincinnati Bengals. I'm, I, I have a lot to say. I have been going over everything, trying to collect my thoughts. I've changed my mind several times. And we still have a month before the NFL draft. So it's going to be a fluid situation on this podcast when it comes to the Bengals over the next couple of months and uh, really throughout the entire summer as we look forward to uh, opening day on September the 9th. So it's going to be a, uh, a, a fluid situation, and I do appreciate those of you who have asked to hear my thoughts on the Bengals. Well, you're finally going to get it, and you're not just going to hear my thoughts. I'm going to be joined today in segment two by James Rapine. James Rapine covers the Cincinnati Bengals for Sports Illustrated, allbengals.com, and uh, he also hosts the Locked on Bengals podcast, a co-host of that podcast. So we're going to talk to James, get his thoughts. He is um, covering this team day in, day out, and uh, he certainly has some things uh, to say and some insight for sure. Let me start with this past weekend, though, and really this past week, we did have March Madness, and it was, as usual, March Madness. The greatest tournament in sports continues to be just that. We have two number 11 seeds in the Sweet 16, one number 12 seed and one 15 seed all in the Sweet 16. That 15 seed, of course, being Oral Roberts, who knocked off Ohio State to begin the tournament, and um, I have to do some self-reflection here, and... You know, I I've announced on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that I was going to be a Ohio State basketball fan officially. And I don't think there's any question that since that happened, Ohio State has taken a deep stumbling fall. And they did so in the tournament as well, which causes me to really sit back and reflect and say, why does everything I touch turn to garbage and why why just why do I deserve that pain and and why is, is it my fault that this happened and do I bring this on other people it, it's it feels like it's my fault because the Buckeyes were really really good all of the sudden I'm a Buckeye fan officially and their season takes a left-hand turn and off a cliff and now they're sitting at home and you've got people making death threats to EJ Liddell and, and like what are we doing is this all my fault a rational person like myself would say it probably is it was a very entertaining though it was a bad week altogether for the Big Ten there's only one Big Ten team left standing and that's Michigan Iowa has fallen Wisconsin has fallen Maryland has fallen Ohio State has fallen Purdue has fallen insert Big Ten team here they went down. We're also just about a week away from opening day, nine days from right now as I'm recording this, which is on a Tuesday afternoon, nine days from opening day. When you're hearing it, it'll be eight and uh, even less than for some of you. And uh, Joey Votto is back. The Reds are hitting. And um, it's going to be an exciting season, I think, for the Reds. I do think if they can continue to hit like they have in spring training, I think they're the top one or two teams in all of baseball and on-base percentage, then they'll be just fine, especially – in their division. But as I said, it is about Bengals, Bengals, Bengals. Free agency is underway. And the Bengals, they got off to a slow start, but they did do, in a way, 
what they said they were going to do, and they attempted to make the team better, and they've spent a considerable amount of money. The unfortunate part of it is that their two top free agents that were on their team, Carl Lawson and William Jackson, have gone elsewhere. Lawson to the Jets, William Jackson to the Washington football team. They've also lost Ethan Carter to the Miami Dolphins. Alex Erickson signed with a team that I can't think of right now. And then Fat Randy, who went on to the Detroit Lions. And there was a, a good friend of mine, Sean Moore, posted that it's a sad day for restaurants in Cincinnati. And I'll tell you what, with Fat Randy out the door, he couldn't be more correct. There are others that have come and gone, but the Bengals have signed Trey Hendrickson from the New Orleans Saints, Mike Hilton from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Chidobe Awuzie from the Dallas Cowboys, Riley Reef from the Minnesota Vikings, Larry Ogunjobi from the Cleveland Browns, Samaje P. Ryan re-signed, Kevin Huber, Brandon Wilson, Brandon Allen, and Clark Harris have all re-signed. And so I ask myself, from then until now, are the Bengals better? And I don't know the answer to that question. And that should tell you that they probably aren't better yet. I do think they'll be better because of the fact that Zach Taylor will have another year under his belt with Joe Burrow, because of the fact that Joe Burrow will have another year of NFL experience under his belt, because I think their offensive line will be improved with the additions of Riley Reef and possibly another guard before the end of free agency. And I do think that they'll be able to get him, Joe Burrow, some weapons on offense. Along with that, Joe Mixon will be returning. I think they're going to be a better football team. By the way, A.J. Green left. He signed with the Arizona Cardinals. Sad day. Geno Atkins has been let go. He apparently failed his physical. I wondered if the Bengals would try to keep Geno Atkins around, but I wonder if, if that shoulder is really just so messed up that it just didn't make sense. I I feel like they wanted to keep Geno, but they couldn't. They couldn't justify the money, and they couldn't justify the injury. And I feel like that's what it eventually led to to Geno Atkins going by the wayside. And it's a shame because um, you you never. I think I saw a tweet where something like Andy Dalton, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green, and two or three other guys have all left the Bengals, who were all core parts of that team that went to the postseason for five consecutive years they've all left and the Bengals have retained in exchange for all of them a seventh round draft pick that's sad that I mean that can't happen moving forward the Bengals have notoriously held on to their guys for too long and there's something to be said about loyalty but there's also something to be said about being aggressive in the pursuit of winning championships and I've brought that up over and over and over again I have said that I think the Bengals have done a lot of things right since they hired Zach Taylor. A lot of fans were upset. We were upset doing uh, the shows here that that they hadn't gone after or, or made a, a strong enough run towards some of the top free agents, like Joe Tooney, who made uh, an insane amount of money off of, uh, off of the Kansas City Chiefs or – some of these other offensive linemen like Corey Lindsley, who is going to the to the Los Angeles Chargers to, to block for Justin Herbert, and the Chargers invested in a couple of offensive linemen to block for Justin Herbert. So Bengals fans immediately got frustrated that the Bengals had not done the same thing. And I understand that frustration, but also at the same time, they did 
appear to have a plan, and their plan has been defense. Carl Lawson goes. They replace him with Trey Hendrickson, who had 13 and a half sacks last year for the New Orleans Saints. Now, the majority of those were not necessarily caused by Trey Hendrickson, but he is going to be a pass rusher. Then you bring in on your defensive line Larry Ogunjobi, who is a better pass rushing defensive tackle. He's inconsistent in the run game and takes some plays off at times, which I've been very critical of people like Carlos Dunlap of, and I'll be critical of Ogunjobi if he does it as well. But you're improving your pass rush. You're counting on Khalid Kareem to take a step forward. You're probably going to draft an edge rusher. Sam Hubbard is going to be relied on heavily to have a big year. Then all of a sudden, with two corners leaving and Mackenzie Alexander and William Jackson, they bring in two corners, Mike Hilton and Chidobia Wuzie. Wuzie, a solid, fine player coming out of the Dallas Cowboys. Mike Hilton, some people are calling the steal of the of the free agency period for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a slot corner. He blitzed more than any slot corner in the NFL the last couple of years. It was a crazy stat, something like 137 blitzes from Mike Hilton compared to 89 to the next closest guy. He's also played halfway decent in coverage. I expect them to continue to address that position. All of a sudden, your secondary looks like Wouzier and Hilton, Darius Phillips, Jesse Bates, Von Bell. I think you've got some things to, to look forward to there. I think that's positive. On your defensive line, you, a lot of folks hoping they bring back Mike Daniels, but you're going to have DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, Trey Hendrickson. Okay, you're, that's a building block. Now, all together, the plus-minus is the question. Are they better? And that remains to be seen. Pro Football Focus released a, a study during, during their doing their or, or citing their analytics, their data, basically saying that the Bengals were actually a little bit worse now than they were at the start of the free agency period. I could see why, for sure, absolutely. But I'm not ready to say that they have taken several step ba- steps back. I just don't think that's the case. You look at the offensive side of the ball, Riley Reef comes in. They've said he's going to play right tackle. They cut Bobby Hart, thank God. Bobby Hart is no longer a Cincinnati Bengal. Praise be to the Most High King, Christ Jesus, for that. You're going to have Trey Hopkins coming back off of an ACL who played pretty good center last year. You've got your left tackle in Jonah Williams. You've got opportunities in a deep offensive line draft class. A lot of folks think you can get a starting guard or starting tackle in the second round, and the Bengals will be picking 38th right at the top of the second round. So the question then becomes on their draft strategy, Do you? what was the strategy to go defense-heavy in free agency so that you could address offensive needs in the draft? You're sitting there at number five. You're probably going to have your pick of the litter of weapons when it comes to Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. Jamar Chase obviously being the sexy pick for his record-setting performance at LSU with Joe Burrow. Kyle Pitts seems like the biggest animal in this draft, perhaps the most uncoverable player to come out in a long, long time. Devontae Smith just came off one of the best seasons in college football history, winning the Heisman Trophy. There's a lot there. There is a lot there for the Bengals, and it's at their at their fingertips. But do they feel painted to painted into a corner to say we have to get an offensive lineman because they have not addressed the guard position yet. Kevin Zeitler, who apparently the Bengals were interested in, went to the Baltimore Ravens, the division rival. 
Trey Turner is still out there. Apparently the Bengals have made contact with him, and then there's other reports that say the Bengals have not made contact. They're having guys like Nick Easton in for a visit. Larry Warford is still available. There's a number of guys still out there to be looked at at the offensive line position. Trey Turner, Chris Reed, James Carpenter, Stefan Wisniewski, J.R. Sweezy. So it's really, really interesting. Quentin Spain, who actually didn't play too bad for the Bengals last year, still available. People want him back. It's a, it's a really, really interesting group there. So my question is, and, and we'll talk to James about all of this, does what they've done in free agency change their strategy for the draft? Or do they still feel like they have to get an offensive lineman at the top of the first round. The sexy pick being Panay Suell. I don't know. It's really, really interesting. I do think they've kept their word to an extent. They may not have gotten the sexy names. They may not have given the quote-unquote most team-friendly contracts, but they are being aggressive in free agency again for the second consecutive season. Trey Waynes, I didn't even mention, is going to be another corner that is going to play his first season for the Bengals this year after missing all of last season after a free agency uh, acquisition to Cincinnati. So you're building something. Are they immediately going to compete for the AFC North as they stand now? No. Are they going to compete for the AFC North right away if they draft Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts? Probably not. But you're going to at least be competitive you should be right around that 7, 8, 9, 10 win range. I think it's going to take 12 to win the division, but you should be in the conversation. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't know if I'm pleased yet or not. I still want to see what happens over the next month, but I want to know where this team goes from here, what they do on draft night, and what that's going to mean come July, August, and September when we get this rolling. And that's what we're going to talk to James Rapine about next on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. We now welcome into the Ball Don't Lie podcast a man by the name of James Rapine. He covers the Cincinnati Bengals for allbengals.com of Sports Illustrated. He's also the co-host of the Locked On Bengals podcast of the Locked On Network and uh, affectionately known in some parts around here as Hot Take James. James, welcome to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well, my man. How are you? I'm doing great. Better now that you're here. We have a lot to talk about. The Bengals over the last week or so have made a ton of moves. They said they would be aggressive. They said they would continue to build around Joe Burrow and this team. Do you feel like the Bengals have made good on their word to this point? No. As we sit here right now, they might not be better than they were last season. And mm -hmm. Uh, so let's be positive for a second. The good news is, is there's still plenty of free agency left. There are plenty of ways they can improve. At the same time, what they've done is really try to set up Lou Anarumo for success. It's almost built around Anarumo. <laughs> and get in, you know, they bring in a couple cornerbacks that obviously fit his scheme better. And they, they bring in a defensive tackle. All three players I like, by the way. At the same time, this wasn't about defensive tackle. It was about offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. And they did address it with Riley Reef, but they need to address the, the guard spot. And they, they sent Quentin Spain to a one-year deal. It's not official yet, but it's going to happen. Unfortunately, 
Spain's a, you know, a, a potential starter, a guy that can battle for a starting job and a really good depth piece. I like the signing. I don't want him penciled in as one of your starting guards in, in April. Right. right. And so that's the, the key. So I think there's still plenty of free agency left. But right now, and as far as grades go, I think they get about a C minus. I think they still have plenty to do to improve. And, and the good news is they have plenty of cap space and they appear willing uh, to address some needs. And, and we'll see if they get it done. Right. Yeah. I, I did find it interesting that the free agency plan or strategy, I guess, has been primarily defense especially for a defensive coordinator who was on the hot seat last year, wasn't sure if he was going to return this year, and it seems like would have a pretty short leash going into this season. And and they're giving him his pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's the awkward spot is now you're you're giving in Arumo his pieces, but what if they start out 26 and the defense is 31st in the league? Mm-hmm. You know, then, you know, and maybe it's not even 2-6, and six, maybe it's 2-4, and four, but you catch my drift. So. Yeah. That's the part of it that's going to be interesting here is, is this just as simple as they looked at the defense, they looked at the offense and said, we're going to add offense in the draft. We like this offensive tackle class. This is very well, very well might be the case. We love this group of wide receivers. We love this group uh, of tackles that can also play guard and kick inside. And heck, Riley Reeves is willing to kick inside if we need him to. And we'll figure that part out. And we can get game-changing type players on the outside in this draft. So let's worry about defense and free agency. That might be the case. And, and if it is, you know, maybe in, in early May when the dust is settled from free agency, the first couple waves of free agency at least, and the NFL draft, you're looking and you say, well, damn, the Bengals are much, much better. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, certainly a path for that. But as we stand here today, they've lost Carl Lawson, they lost William Jackson, and, and you're bringing basically replacements in Trey Hendrickson and in Chidobe Awuziriki, or uh, I always say it wrong, Awuzie. <laughs> um, I, I get him confused with the, the Washington defense uh-huh. event, yeah. uh, because I'm in draft season. Anyways, um, Awuzie, and then you bring in Mike Hilton, and Hilton's not known for his coverage skills. So it's, mm-hmm. you're just kind of replacing guys. Yeah. We're – we're not all the way there, and that, that that's the part that is going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks. Yeah, it does seem to me like that was the strategy, to go defense and free agency and offense in the draft because it is deep at the skill positions. It is deep at offensive line. How does it change the draft strategy? Do you feel like they've painted themselves, as of now, painted themselves in a corner where they still have to get an offensive lineman at five? And if – if if so, is that the right decision? Because I was Penesuel this whole time, but now I'm thinking Jamar Chase, and I'm sure my my thought will change before the draft a couple more times. If what do you think they do, or, or what is the right move for them at five, in your opinion? If Penesuel is a guy that they view as a great prospect, not good, mm-hmm. great, not good and fills a need, great generational. It can't miss. You know, whatever cliche you want to use, if they view them that way, I'm not going to argue it. Right. But here's what I know, because I'm no offensive line expert. <laughs> I look at Jamar Chase. You don't even have to watch football to know that guy's special. Right. To know that that guy's going to make a difference. The same thing goes for a Kyle Pitts. Honestly, people don't want to admit it, but the same thing goes for Devontae Smith. So if the Bengals take Penny Sewell, then they better be right. Because I know there are some, some sure things out there, and, and that's going to be 
the, the, the interesting part of it. it. How do they balance need? And a lot of receivers are need, by the way. Fans don't realize it. Like, mm-hmm. like half the, the Bengals fan base doesn't realize it. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd aren't enough. And Auden Tate is overrated among Bengals fans. Yeah. I like Auden Tate. I think he's a good dude. He's not a third wide receiver. And th- this idea that, oh, well, well, let's just wait and get a third wide receiver and protect Burrow. Not having an, a threat on the outside, a true one, hurts Burrow. And mm-hmm. the thing, I, I haven't written about this, but I will. The past decade, A.J. Green has carried the Bengals' offense, specifically from 2011 to 2017. It wasn't Andy Dalton. You know who else it wasn't? It wasn't Andrew Whitworth. It was A.J. Green. <laughs> so Jamar Chase is that dude. Then take Jamar Chase and, uh, and roll with it. So I'm open to Sewell. But damn it, if you pick him, he better be really, really, really damn good. Yeah, and and there's a ton of question marks surrounding him. And to to confirm your point even more, they need speed. They have no speed at all. Your good friend John Ross, especially now off the team, and things couldn't work out there. But there are so many question marks around Sewell that I find interesting. He didn't play last year. I still don't think he's old enough to drink. And you just I don't know how good I feel about him as as an offensive line prospect uh as an opening day starter basically is what i'm trying to say so um i guess my question for you they the bengals have done pretty much everything right since in my opinion since zach taylor has been hired what do they have to continue to do before the start of next season to go in the right direction to increase their win total to keep Zach Taylor around? What do they have to do? Oh, to me, and this would have been my focus from the go, and I'm sure they would say it is, that needs to play out. you got to put Joe Burrow in a position to succeed. Because if you do that, and let's just say they get the offensive line to, to functional. That's a word I've used a lot this mm-hmm. offseason. And, and maybe that's with Sewell, but let's just say it's without him which I think is very realistic. You get Riley Reef, you had a veteran guard like Trey Turner in the coming days. You have Quentin Spain, uh, you know, potentially as a backup. Xavier Suofield as a backup. You're probably going to draft a line in round two or three, and if you don't take one round one, suddenly your offensive line is functional. You have proven veterans coming off the bench if there are injuries that can help help you win. If, if you do that and you add a chase, and, you know, it's Burrow, Chase, Boyd, Mixon, functional offensive line. You got C.J. Uzama coming back. Uh, obviously, Tyler Boyd, probably the best slot wide receiver in the league. I know the Bengals feel that way. You look at that and you're like, all right, this offense should average 30 a game. So, because they have the quarterback, they have the weapons, and they have a functional offensive line. So, now, you get to really judge Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's the other benefit of building around Burrow and making sure the line is at least average and adding another weapon. Because if Zach Taylor can't construct all these pieces to have a 30 a game and now potentially win games because they've made a bunch of moves on defense mm-hmm. and continue to make more as we're recording this, they're signing Eli Apple. I heard that this morning. I didn't know if they were really going to, but they had a quarterback room. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, um, it really, I'm not going to say puts the pressure on Zach, but it, it tells the story. There are no more excuses. Your guys are here. Your quarterback's here. Your, your offensive line is, is competent for the first time since you've been here. Go show it. And so that, that's the benefit of it. So mm-hmm. what, what, what do they need to do? They need to add at least a receiver, probably two receivers that can be legitimate threats for Burrow. And, you know, one can be a – but they need to find a real 
a real guy that can contribute because you, you lose A.J. Green. That's a lot of snaps. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the drop-off from A.J. Green to Auden Tate, even at this stage of his career, there. There is a clear drop-off. Um, and then you can evaluate Taylor. And, and I think sure. that he, he needs to – he needs to win games early, and it's tough when you look at that that schedule. Obviously, the schedule isn't out, but the opponents for twenty twenty one it's going to be it's going to be a rough one, Austin. So we'll see. Absolutely, and I will let you go. I have one more question. I know you have work to do now with this breaking news, but I've been in, I've been watching these zooms and everything, and people will ask Zach Taylor about Joe Burrow's progress, but Zach really refuses to answer it. Do you think there's a reason for that? Do you think it's because he just doesn't want to give people false hope? Do you think it's because he really doesn't know? Do you think it's because Joe might not actually be back on track in time? What what are your thoughts on his refusal to answer that question? I think Joe's on track. I think it benefits Zach Taylor or there's zero benefit to Zach Taylor to answer it. And Mm -hmm. so why do it? Why add pressure to Joe? Um, yeah. here's what I do know. I've seen videos of him working out. I haven't seen him run, right? but I've seen him working out. I, I haven't seen him throw, but I'm, I'm confident in saying that he's doing both of those things. Now, is he running on flat ground yet? I don't know. I would assume probably straight line stuff, mm-hmm. probably not because that's just gen- general with the ACL, but I would assume he's progressing nicely. And the fact that they were in on Kenny Galladay and Burrow is recruiting mm-hmm. and you hear Riley Reeves talk about him and all these free agents, I think everyone just kind of assumes he's going to be ready for week one. So we'll yeah. see. But I just think it's a risk versus reward if you're Zach Taylor. Why add pressure to something that you can just avoid? Absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. James, I appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find you, find your work, hear your voice, and do all that? Real simple, allbengals.com. It's a one-stop shop. Um, other places, as you mentioned, Lock, the Locked on Bengals podcast, only daily Bengals podcast out there. Mm. So it's a, a really fun uh, listen, unless you're creating one. It's a really fun <laughs> listen for, uh, for Bengals fans. And then I actually, Austin, just launched a YouTube channel about a month ago oh. where we started to get it up and running. It's Cincinnati Bengals Talk on YouTube. Uh, we're almost at um, 1,700 subscribers. So wow. we're going quick. And if you're looking for uh, another place to get Bengals content, I got a lot of interviews and things coming up there. So excited about that as well. Well, there you go. Everybody go check that out. James, I appreciate your time here today. Take it easy, man. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me. So there you have it. James Rapine on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I appreciate James so much for coming on. And yeah, I don't know. He kind of snuck it in there at the end. But uh, there was some news breaking literally as we were recording that the Bengals It came out, it was reported by Mike Garofalo of NFL Network that the Bengals were signing cornerback Eli Apple. Eli Apple, of course, an Ohio State Buckeye, so let's just go ahead and count while we can. Sam Hubbard, Von Bell, Eli Apple, Billy Price, Joe Burrow, uh, I think I think there's one more Buckeye somewhere on the roster that I'm I'm forgetting right now. Either way, Cincinnati Buckeyes, print the T-shirts, the Buckeyes and the Bengals, everything's back, we're good to go. Um, so pretty excited about that. Obviously, he's had um, Eli Apple has had an, an up and down start to his career, to say the least. But he did spend some time with Von Bell in uh, in New Orleans. He spent some time, obviously, with Sam Hubbard and Von Bell um, at Ohio State and uh, Billy Price as well. And so interesting uh, signing there. Definitely going to be some depth. The Bengals now make that one, two, three cornerbacks they have signed after losing William Jackson. They're also getting Trey Waynes back at the start of next season. So going to be uh, pretty, pretty interesting uh, to see what happens uh, with this team as they continue to go forward. So 
Uh, that will do it for me. I appreciate James Rapine so much for stopping by. Hopefully we'll talk to him, make that more of a common occurrence because I do uh, love talking to James. So in the meantime, remember, uh, have fun. Actually, no, remember that ball don't lie. And uh, especially on a day like today, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>